So I formed SignD to be the, the go-to company for onboarding. I had this idea of the one-stop shop where a company just plugs in and gets all their compliance and regulatory processes covered by a single provider so that they can basically outsource um, the technology, the process, and also the keep staying up to date in terms of regulations and um, having a, a good fit for all of their services. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. This week, we're speaking with Bernard Reiterer, CEO and founder of SignD Identity, the Vienna-based RegTech provider. SignD provides onboarding services and solutions for consumers, KYC, and businesses, KYB, via its one-stop SignD platform. In our conversation, we discuss the increasing complexity and burden of compliance, especially for companies operating across multiple jurisdictions. Bernard explains what it took for him to successfully convince a large incumbent financial institution to trust his startup with their compliance obligations and go on to develop domestic market leadership and expand internationally into other markets. No mean feat and plenty of startup tips and lessons shared. So I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Bernard Reitero from Sign D Identity. Okay, Bernard, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Martin, for having me. Perfect. So um, you're calling in from uh, Vienna, I believe? Absolutely, Vienna in Austria. Okay, great. So why don't you start off with a brief introduction to yourself, and then let's talk about Sign D in more detail. Sounds good. Perfect. So... Yep. Thanks again, Martin. Um, my name is Bernhard Reiter, or Bernie, as uh, most people are calling me. I'm founder and CEO of SignD Identity. Um, my background's basically, I've got a business formation and um, spent most of my life in the payment industry, um, right, working for large international companies, but also um, on a running a boutique consulting company, total for close to 25 years, and um, done probably everything which um, was allowed in payments and is allowed in payments now. So I've seen probably everything. Um, but during the whole time here, there was always one persistent problem, actually. And that was kind of, you know, you've got the perfect product, you've got the perfect distribution, all the partners together, everything. And then there's the compliance officer coming with a bunch of paper and saying, hey, that's what your customers have to fill out, actually, to become your customers, which is called the onboarding. It is such a big nightmare, was always looking for, for solutions, never found a holistic one, which takes the compliance burden off my shoulders for my products, which were running internationally in, on, on, on four continents, actually. And yeah, seeing that lack, actually, I decided if there is nobody who's doing that, then, then maybe it's time to create something um, that's, that's taking care of it. And that's what I did in um, February 2019 by forming Signed Identity. Fantastic. So tell me a bit more about SignD. So you founded the company in 2019. What's the business like now? Um, well, obviously, it's, it's, it's kind of quite different than um, we planned it back then. Um, it's 
kind of sometimes coming back to to the original plans. On the other side, it, it, it developed just completely different. We had a couple of major events in there which changed the market. Um, there's new regulations were coming up. There was the, the whole COVID time and all of those things. And the, the main idea stayed the same. The main idea stayed the same. So I formed SignD to be the the go-to company for onboarding. So like the, the, I had this idea of the one-stop shop where a company just plugs in and gets all their compliance and regulatory processes covered by a single provider so that they can basically outsource and the technology, the process, and also the keep staying up to date in terms of regulations and um, having a, a, a good fit for all of their um, services. Mm -hmm. That was the ambitious goal. And we were looking at the, the KYC side in, in a broader perspective for, for onboarding of consumers and kind of state, kind of state, but we extended that obviously for um, um, business onboarding. We, uh, in the meantime, also ventured into um, uh, digital signatures, which is a natural extension of the onboarding process because, you know, you identify somebody in a purely um, um, remote or digital way, which works super fine and smooth, is compliant, and then you the banks were starting to, to, to print out paper contracts, which obviously is a major media breach. So we, we decided to go into that area as well and provide digital signatures, then even going so far to be either certified to provide something which is called like a qualified electronic signature, which opens up a completely different space in terms of regulatory technology, in terms of electronic identity, as it's um, now um, part of the European strategy. Um, and, and also completely new use cases, which we have not looked into before. And at the same time, we also said yeah, onboarding is a fantastic thing. So, so let's make sure that that one works. And, and we still think onboarding is the most important step in any business relationship, because if just like a first date, if you fail the first date, it's very unlikely that you get a second one. And same for onboarding. If you lose the customer there, you invested a lot of marketing dollars into that. User has a bad experience, talks about it, not a good thing. So let's make sure that the onboarding works, but the business relationship does not stop there. So we also built something uh, to offer like lifetime compliance, continuous monitoring, and just to be able to accompany those customers that run through our system for a longer time and make sure that our customers, our customers like banks or, or telecom operators, healthcare, whatever they are coming from, can fulfill their obligations also in an ongoing way. All right. So you mentioned a couple of um, um, customer segments there. What, what can you describe your kind of ideal customer? I mean, what what, is, what are they typically? What are their needs um, in a bit more detail? I think you mentioned in the prep call that a lot of your customers have a sort of multi-market operations, yeah. and that's a particular problem that you're trying to address. Absolutely. I mean, we have built a very comprehensive platform that is super easy to configure and 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 ad adaptive. Uh, to the need. So the the biggest value of a platform comes to customers that have a complex situation. Complex situation means different products, different jurisdictions, global reach, where um, um, the, the implementation of those onboarding features is cumbersome and very specific to the situation. So just as an example, uh, one gambling operator of ours is um, operating in 70 jurisdictions. And originally, they had 70 teams to implement KYC. And they can actually get that through a single imp implementation now. It's a new process for, um, I don't know, Botswana, 
all right? We just configure it in the right way half an hour later, they're live. This, this is actually where um, the, the, the biggest value of our platform and the flexibility of a platform comes in. Um, I would not limit that to, to, to kind of like the, those, those, those big multinationals. Obviously, we're, we're making sure that we're achieving compliance in, in, in all our countries. But obviously, the more complex the company is, the more uh, complex their setup is and the more we can actually help with our, our one-stop platform. Mm-hmm. So presumably, you, you obviously spent time to understand and monitor and keep track of all the local regulations and rules around KYC? Right, Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, this is a very big part of our work, actually. So when when people ask me, um, so how do you run your technology company? I'm, I'm usually saying, well, we're not a technology company. We're, we're selling technology. Yeah, sure. Mm. Absolutely. We're a knowledge company. We bring in um, the aspects of obviously the user experience, because that's always one of the most important parts here, but also the compliance to make sure that the local uh, laws are, are are kind of kept. But we also bring new t- uh, innovation to the regulators and having an active discussion with those and saying, hey, there's just new ways how how your companies can actually do that. It has an advantage for, for them in terms of competitiveness. It also has an advantage in terms of your job as a regulator to supervise those companies, make them successful and abide the law. So Bernie, let, let's go back to the beginning of the, of the journey you mentioned. Um... You know, so it sounds like you've got some good traction now. Is that it's fair yep. to say? Um, Absolutely. And and presumably at the beginning, you know, you you were trying to um, seek evidence of of that product market fit, that traction. Um, what was that process like? How did you go about satisfying yourself that you you you've actually got the product um, right, and there is there is some traction from customers in the marketplace, and it's ready to and you're ready to actually grow and expand. It was funny, the first customer hit was a, um, a very lucky one. There was mm-hmm. just a regulation being introduced to telecom operators to, <clears throat> to, to properly identify um, their, 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 their users, especially when it comes to, to prepaid SIM cards, which was like Austria was the, the last country in Europe, actually, which did not have a, a KYC check on that. There was new legislation coming and, and where we started the company was just right on, 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 on spot here with that. And Having said that, the, the, the next steps were a little bit harder because right. that was really in convincing a financial institution to, to say, hey, yeah, we're ready to work with a, a startup that has um, new technology, new approaches, and um, to, to, to put that into their core systems. It took some time. It I can imagine time, it must actually. have been quite a, yeah, I mean, you're dealing with a financial institution and they're relying on you from, for, for compliance, for a compliance solution. It's uh, presumably quite difficult. Absolutely. Um, process to convince them that you're a trustworthy partner, right? So uh, yeah, talk me through how you, how you did that. It was a long and painful way. It's, it's, I mean, you know me, I've got good networks there. So, so getting to those customers, not the, the, the hardest things, but then to, um, to not just convince like the CEO, hey, yeah, that's a cool stuff. We want to do that. And this, this is, um, forward-looking, that's the future, blah, blah, blah. All those, those, those things are super nice. But if you're dealing with such a company, um, you're, you're confronted with a buying center with a lot of, of um, concerns from, from risk, non-financial risk, outsourcing, blah, 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 all of those, those, those things. And you have to convince quite a lot of, of, of people. And um, we 
the the the, the first bank, which is also one of our most important um, um, customers here in 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 Austria, actually the first bank, um, took actually, I think one and a half years to really convince them. Right. Um, it then really picked up in uh, during um, one of the COVID lockdowns. Uh, but before that, it was a lot of back and forth and, you know, proving the success rates and test implementations, um, creating um, um, statements from the regulator. What could have been the sort it, of, what, what were the couple of biggest barriers that you faced, perhaps sort of a surprising issues? It's, reflection? I think funny as it is, um, the, the, well, it's not funny as it is, actually, it's, it's, it's one of the, the biggest pushbacks um, that were coming was simply the fact of being a startup. Yeah. Being not proven for so and so much uh, time and stuff like that. We were able to to kind of convince that because of part of our platform is, is comprising of a lot of um, third party providers there as well. If we if you offer like tons of, of functionality like 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 we do, we do not build everything in-house. Yeah. And we were carefully selecting the providers that we were using on our platform, and we could just prove that what we deliver to that bank actually is based on the shoulders of giants that are active in, in photo identification, biometrics, banking, blah, 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 all of those things. And said, hey, this, this is what we put together. You get all the SLAs, you get all the security from those very experienced companies that are active in border control for governments, for financial institutions mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and stuff like that. And then basically it's, it, it, it kind of um, died off even in between a little bit. And I, at some point of time, just called the CEO and said, hey, we're talking for so much time now and you still got a lousy process, actually. And he just happened to get a a report from his retail business team, like a a day before or something like that, to see all the drop-off rates with the video identification service they had. Um, And and he just said, yeah, okay, screw it. Just just do it now. And then we kind of, yeah, I mean, that was very, very spontaneous. We did a, a spike implementation. Um, uh, afterwards, which was like a, a two-week exercise to get the, uh, completely set up on, on, on their native app. And then said, yeah, that worked well. was kind of a, a good experience for the developers. It's a good experience in terms of the product. So we kind of convinced with the product and the service levels that we had. We said, yeah, let's start it off with um, um, one branch of the bank, actually, like the, 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 the digital kind of the, the low-cost um, um, branch of the bank, <clears throat> purely online bank worked well and then they started to expand and um um i think since then they added about i don't know 12 13 different products we're constantly adding um, functionality to the to 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 that so they're they're kind of consuming um um almost all of our services already except the kyb and we were kind of eager to get that one in as well but that's also one to hear a bit more about the kyb uh, but before we move on, perhaps you could just describe the situation before and after. What was the KYC experience like prior to your solution, or what? What? What is yeah. it? What changes have you 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 brought about? What impact have you had? In prior to us, they had um, three different ways um, to 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 onboard here. The first one was like um, for video identification, which is a kind of an expensive and painful process because you um, you're in the process. You need to arrange for a meeting actually. To have that video called and takes 10, 15 minutes. Um, yeah. um, you have to kind of, you know, move your ID and talk to somebody, um, sometimes not not speaking the right language and stuff like that. So there was a, a fairly cumbersome process. It also took like 24 hours for them to get the results of, the, of, of this ID check. 
So um, they were not very happy with that. And then there was another alternative where people were forced to send a, a document via email mm. and then mm. do a bank transfer. Um, and, you know, people were doing mistakes with the bank transfer, not showing the, the pairing code and uh, the IDs were sometimes just, you know, not sent in the right way or not. Uh, you can read it because they were black and black or something like that. So very, very cumbersome. But the other one was like a, 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 a staged process where you provide some information and then you go into the branch and they have to repeat everything. Right. And afterwards, it was a very simple process. Actually, they, um, they have their, their, and they also wanted to push their, um, their app. So what they basically did, they, they have the web journey They say, Hey, you provide all the data that you have to provide anyways. Now you install the app, you scan that QR code. And after that, we just start running our, 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 our service, basically scan the ID, do the selfie, enter your address and um, do a, an open banking transaction right away from the whole process. And within one and a half minutes or something like that, you have a result, which is either a, an okay or a not okay. It could also be like, you know, there's always broad attempts and, and, and other things that we're battling here. Okay. Let's move on to the KYB piece that you alluded yeah. to. Um, and I think there's some regulation around that you mentioned also that's uh, impacted KYB process. Is that correct? There's a couple of things. So if you look at the wider KYB um, um, aspect, then there's a lot of uh, new regulations coming in. There was um, either in conjunction with the, the, the sanctions for, for, for Russia, Ukraine, but also before with um, aspects like sustainable supply chain, vendor management, and, and, and those things, they're much more strict actually than before. Mm -hmm. And also the responsibility of the companies is not just with their direct vendor, but with the whole chain of suppliers, actually. So if, if, if you're, for example, car manufacturer like VW and you manage like 60K um, vendors, you're not just responsible for those 60K vendors so that they have a good business conduct, that they're um, sustainable, that they're applying to whatever rules in terms of child labor, fair payment and, and stuff like that. But you're also responsible for the second tier, third tier and the fourth tier of suppliers. And this is madness actually. And this is really, really madness. And that's where automation is the only answer to that. But having said that, also in our core markets and um, with increased sanctions and with uh, increased diligence, to really follow a strict process with authoritative data and um, double checking um, um, the whole process made it much, much harder for those. Um, I mean, we're focusing here on a, on a couple of, of specific verticals. So for example, merchant acquirers is a financial institution that wants to onboard, say a web shop or a supermarket chain or whatever. Mm. They really need to know who are the owners yeah. of the company they're dealing with, they need to identify them and they need to have um, um, strong um, re-identification and monitoring capabilities in place to do that. And most of the, 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 the companies in that area or who are facing KYB um, um, issues in, in general are doing that manually. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what my understanding is a manual process. Absolutely. Because it's complicated, it's, um, there's a lot of things you need to consider. Um, there's data is incomplete, stuff like that. So the, it just makes it super, super hard. And just to give an example, and one of the, the largest acquirers in the world we are, who we are working with, and they take on average eight to 12 weeks to onboard a web shop and it costs them around $500 ABC costing. That's kind of 
significant. That also means they are unable to serve long tail customers simply because it's too expensive to onboard them. But in reality, with the right tools and the right procedures, you can automate the whole process and put it into a self-onboarding. Yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more about exactly how you, how you do that. I mean, to, to what extent you've actually managed to automate the, the manual process steps. But uh, I totally concur with the um, limitations of the current process with regards to the, the economics, right? Um, yeah. And it leads to the SME end of the market being underserved because the KYB process is just too expensive and long-winded. So, um, yeah, I mean, how are you going about solving that? I mean, that seems to be a, a major issue in the market, a major problem. Um, the cost and expense and time around manual KYB processes. How are you, how are you solving for that? So we have different approaches to that. So basically, um, what we usually suggest is kind of a, a risk-based approach and that works through a, a, a self-onboarding. We, we're connected to a, more than 100 trade registers. We, we um, um, pull information from business information services and, and we build a whole process around that that allows a, an onboarding journey where basically the applicant enters, for example, his, 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 his company registration number, or if it's a sole trader, it's a slightly different process. You pull out information that needs to match basically a, the requirements template of, 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 the, of the bank. So basically, if the bank is regulated in Ireland, obviously they will have different requirements than if they're regulated in, in, in Italy or, or, or somewhere else. So we make sure that all that um, necessary information is there. If information is unavailable, we pull from the next source, we pull from the next source to make sure that that, that one is complete. And if there's still um, gaps, which naturally happens because there's, you probably are aware that um, um, by since 22nd of November, the European um, transparency registers are closed. So yeah, tell, do tell, not talk to me about that. I don't think um, the audience probably won't be sufficiently aware of, of that event. A absolutely, absolutely. So anti-money laundering laws require um, financial institutions to um, identify the ultimate beneficial owners. So those are individuals that directly or indirectly own more than 25% of a company. Mm -hmm. so up to three um, ultimate beneficial owners per company exist. And, and those are not always easy to find out. So they might have a direct ownership, but then they might just be um, sitting behind a company that owns part of that company and behind that company is another company, another company. Then there's trade registers which do not disclose ownership information, for example. So for, for that reason, the governments have established something which is called the transparency register. Transparency register is simply a list of the ultimate beneficial owners of a company. There's a couple of issues with that from the technology side and, and, and governments not fully uh, completing those things. But the, the, the major issue was a um, court ruling of the European Union after a cl uh, complaint from uh, Luxembourg, which said, basically said that access to the transparency registers is violating GDPR rights. No. Yeah. So AML law says you have to look into the transparency register. GDPR says you're not allowed to look into the transparency register which is a complicated thing, obviously. Incredible. So that was, um, you said that as of 22nd of November, 2022, yes. the transparency register was closed as a result of this ruling. What happens next? How does the industry go about um, solving for this, this specific point? Um, well, the company itself can still get the information from the transparency register and file it in paper. Not a nice process, actually. So what 
We do it slightly different, actually. So we, we, we basically use a, a, a process that we use for all the missing data uh, on our service. So we, we try to uh, calculate everything with the data that we have. Because if you have like um, plain vanilla data from the trade register, which makes it completely clear that guy's a, a UBO and there's no potential other one, then it's an easy thing and done. And for if, if there's still information missing or potential UBOs there, we ask um, the, uh, the director of the company to make a legal declaration and either say, hey, no, that's all the UBOs of the company, or yes, here's another one. Here's the information. We, uh, we let those people sign that with a qualified electronic signature to make it a, an audit-proof legal right. declaration of the company. Because th okay. this is the only way how you can actually create the audit trail as a, as a regulated company to, to, to battle that step. Well, I call it madness, actually, to have that situation with the transparency register, but there's nothing else you can do about it. But at least you're shifting the legal responsibility or, or, or managing yeah. that legal risk uh, through the declaration. Absolutely. I'm curious, I mean, given the journey you've been on so far and, and, and those early wins you mentioned in the current situation, what have you learned and what is your current go-to-market approach, would you say? Well, let's start with the second one first. Um, we, we did most of our sales out of our networks, which is still not depleted. So, so, so we can, um, with a good, good team of senior uh, people with uh, strong networks in, in our target industries, um, so, so this is something we're, we're going to continue doing that, but, but we also know that we need to, um, change the way for, for scaling up. So we're investing heavily into partner sales. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's different types of companies we're looking into. So that are, are typically system integrators, also some consulting companies, um, platforms like, like, um, core banking platforms and other types of resellers and um, um, integration partners we're working in, um, but also in specialized um, companies in, in, in countries that can do the, um, the sales for us here and those operations. It really depends then, then, then also on uh, the, the setting that we um, offer in, in, a, in a specific country, because we, um, we do have an approach where we, basically our services can be applied anywhere. But obviously it doesn't make sense for a small company at our scale to serve anybody everywhere. Right. So, um, we say, Hey, there's just there's certain products which can be served more easily. And that's more easy to go into a country, even if there's like a, a bigger uh, gap in, 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 time zones or something like that. Um, and, and then stay razor focused on, 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 on those products. I'm thinking yeah. about qualified signature as, as, um, also for signing, um, work contracts and, um, um, like a paper trail in manufacturing and, and those things, which are not kind of like in the high intensive, um, core market of, of financial institutions, gambling, telecoms, healthcare. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's the way how we segment that, um, I'm also in, in our core markets, we really go, um, country by country and want to make sure that we get a significant market share in those individual countries. So yeah. for example, Austria, which is our home market, um, is, is not in terms of numbers, but in terms of penetration, definitely our strongest market. Um, so we're, we're going to achieve uh, market leadership, um, in terms of, um, onboarding for banks, um, actually in the next couple of weeks. We should have like a 40% of all Austrians that open a bank account or, or manage a bank account are going to run through our systems. 
this is a kind of a big, big achievement for us. And obviously we want to replicate that in, uh, in other markets. Um, we just try to, to penetrate as much as possible, not just with a single product, but also with a, a set of products into those financial institutions. Very good. Look, um, question, when, when you were developing the product, did you ever, were you conscious of the potential product development trap of trying to solve for a single client as opposed to solving for the market, right? I mean, there's always this temptation to to find a game, potential game-changing client and just focus exclusively on solving their problems and issues and perhaps, um, you know, lose sight of the fact that you're solving for the broader market. Um, it, this, this is a very good good question, actually. And this is a, a, a big, big trap and it's easy to fall into that, actually. So we also did, obviously, we all have <laughs> clear. We, we all always said we're not a project company or product company. So whatever we do is, is, is kind of, um, needs to be replicable. And, and if there's something completely customized, we try to do it with partners. Sometimes we did not. And, and we learned the hard way out of that. And we, we, we kind of have strict rule now really to say, if there is something which we can really reuse and we have at least a second buyer for that, we can put it onto a product mm. or we just say, you have to put it, uh, uh, you have to develop it, or we have a partner who can develop that, or we just, yeah, I know it's publicly pro broadcast, or we just charge triple the price for that. Right. Fair enough. And uh, what, are, what I mean, it's my segue into perhaps um, another, yeah, the sense of topic around monetization. I mean, anything you can, yeah. what, are your, what are your learnings in terms of monetization of the, of the product? I think... And that's, 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 that's particularly true for, for, for every company that is in, 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 in a journey like we are, because you, you're kind of in a constant um, product market fit um, evaluation yeah. and there's changes. I mean, we're four years old with a very hectic time with COVID in there, large war in Europe in there. So there, there's a lot of external factors that are changing the landscape quite often. Right. And um, this also requires um, frequent adaptations. And frequent adaptations is something which is a little bit contradictory to um, um, scaling because you need a stable um, um, product situation to be, be really able to, to scale it in terms of unit economics and, um, and all of those things. Um, luckily, for most of our products, that did not um, apply too much. So um, we were able to, to, to basically follow a, a, a strategy of um, um, using this repository to quickly react without developing um, something new. That's, that, that's I think, the, the, the most important thing, to be clever in the way how you use the services that you're already having just to serve new needs. Doesn't prevent you from heavily, too heavily discounting for, for, for early customers. Doesn't prevent you from um, um, changing the, the, the pricing model to see that it really fits um, the time. But that, those are things you need to exp uh, experiment with. And really see how how that, that 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 fits the market, but I think for us in terms of commercialization, the, the, one of the most important things was building up the reputation, because that just allowed us to 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 say that's the value we deliver, and we were always coming from a value uh, perspective, and not like that's the cost that we're having or or, or or something like that. So we help you to get more customers faster. And you compliant. Now, obviously, that has a price, and we we succeeded to price above markets um, um, since then. 
Very good. Look, uh, coming to the end of our conversation, um, what's I mean, curious if you if you're willing to talk about the funding environment. You know, what's your uh, what's your experience there? How, how yeah. are things? How's the appetite to invest, just broadly speaking, changed in your space? I would say first of all, there's a lot of difference between let's say um, traditional continental Europe and the UK and US. Mm-hmm. This is a, a big, big difference, especially also when we're talking about those um, um, early stage investors. They're super risk averse, as opposed to, for example, a, a US or UK based investor, um, which makes it quite hard. Which makes it quite. We we are in a whale bet. In, in what we're doing in rec- regulatory technology, KYC identity, this is a whale bet, which means heavy financial investments for large potential future gains. So you invest into a platform and then you're unsure if that really picks up, if the market does it, if, if everything fits and stuff like that. So this, this is something which contradicts the, the risk appetite of, of, of more like the continental European investors. Um, that's a general thing. The other thing was there was obviously a, a, a dip in risk appetite from, um, especially we saw from, from the VCs also last year, which mostly impacted fintech and regtech is kind of a subset of fintech uh, in most regards. Um, but having said that, um, our part recovered quite fast in the US and also quite fast in the UK. It's still lagging behind here in, in, in Central Europe. But what we also saw is uh, a heightened interest from private equity. Mm-hmm. So that changed also um, for, for like the, the, the longer terms, large investments. Um, so this, obviously, you know, this, 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 there's no cowboy time anymore. It's like, hey, you got five million and then and, and off you go or something like that. So that, 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 that's gone. And that's, I think it's also good. And cool. um, I think it's also, I'm, I'm just quoting a, a PE company I was talking to recently. And, and they just said, yeah, we, we're going to, to have a lot more due diligence here. But also, um, it's time to get drunk with your founder because you need to know those people in and out, you need to be able to, you know, hop on the car if shit hits the fans to help them and stuff like that. So we're going to be super intense on the hard facts, but we're even more intense on the soft facts. Do you see the private equity companies being more active in their ownership, right? Like you said, yes, being, being more involved. Uh, is, is, that, is that a change that you've, uh, you've witnessed? A- a- absolutely. So in those four years I talked with, loads of VCs and, and, and GEs, and also the VCs changed um, um, their way. So the, and I'm mostly talking about those, those Rectex specific ones, actually, I don't know about um, um, others, but what they did, they, they built internal teams, which is sometimes four or five times their investment team that are actively supporting the companies in their portfolio in terms of research, in terms of um, um, business development, in terms of all different aspects. So this is like, a, a service company within the um, uh, financial investor. So mm. when, when, when people were talking about smart money a couple of years ago, um, it was smart the way how they transferred it, but that's, that, that was the end of the story. <laughs> but, but now um, they they're really, really understood that it's this value in supporting their companies other than just having a portfolio. It was always a bit more with PE than with VC, but also the VCs changed a lot here. Okay, great. I mean, I think that's been fascinating um, discussion, Bernard. Thank you very much for your time. Maybe you could just share with the audience how they can contact you. What's the best way of reaching out to you? Yeah, thanks, Martin. Um, yeah, also enjoyed it. Uh, in terms of, of, of contacting me, um, 
best simply to do on LinkedIn. Yep. Another signed just look out, look out for that. Um, or just send an email at uh, bernie at signed.id. And you're, um, you're at a few events and conferences coming up, right? That you're exhibiting in London, yeah. I believe. Um, there's, there's, the, I think the first one's Money 2020 in Amsterdam. Then obviously, then there's um, Identity Week. I think a week or two after. Right. And then um, definitely also Web Summit, uh, where we also love to go to to Lisbon. Indeed. All right, Bernard. Thank you very much, and uh, see you next time. Thank you so much, Martin. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions, so feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there, or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and I will see you next time.